0: warning this episode contains dialogue about mental health and beauty standards that may be sensitive topics viewer discretion is advised
1: all right welcome back to the Nocturnal dialogues podcast if you guys are joining us for the first time today thank you for stopping by i'm greg and i'm a rising left in high school
0: And I'm Anna, the co-host of this podcast. Through this podcast, we aim to inspire youth
1: in our community. And so basically for today's episode, we'll be doing a deep dive of the Hallyu Wave, which is a common term utilized to refer to the rapid proliferation of Korean culture, entertainment, and music across the globe.
0: Okay, so our first topic of discussion today is the history um how the hollywood first started and its influence spreading to countries like america so for brief definitions k-pop is a genre of music originating in south korea and it's influenced by styles and genres from around the world such as pop experimental rock jazz gospel hip-hop RB and reggae um, etc and on top of its traditional korean music group and the modern k-pop we know today emerged with the formation of one of the earliest k-pop groups so, Teiji and Boys in 1992. Idol culture, however, began with a boy band, HOT, in 1996 as K pop grew into a subculture that amassed enormous fandoms of teenagers and, y- and young adults. Soon after, stars like TVXQ, Psy, and Boa broke the new music genre into the neighboring Japanese market. Now, K pop is popularized in almost every country, not only those limited to Southeast and East Asia. As of 2019, K-pop is ranked at number six among the top 10 music markets worldwide according to the Global Music Report 2019 with groups like BTS and Blackpink leading the market growth. And the South Korean government has acknowledged the benefits um, the country reaps due to the rapid expansion of um, K-pop, especially with their export sector as a result of the Hallyu wave and thus subsided certain endeavors Um, Government initiatives to expand the popularity of K-pop are mostly undertaken by the Ministry of Culture, Sports, and Tourism, which is responsible for the worldwide establishment of Korean cultural centers. And a really interesting fact we found when we were researching about this topic was that South Korea actually uses K-pop as a form of soft power. And an example of this is the Mnet Asian Music Awards.
1: Thing. that's that's pretty interesting i i mean i know i've heard that like over the past couple of years uh k-pop as a whole has brought in like billions of dollars added towards revenue so i never realize the the magnitude that they had on like the economy as a whole but yeah going off of that um i kind of want to talk about like what our personal experiences or like exposure to k-pop was or were like or influences um I can start off by saying like, I think ever since I like moved to around this area, which is a pretty culturally diverse area, um, I started getting more exposure to different types of music. And around that time was when BTS started to become popular. So of course, um, a lot of people were kind of subscribing to like uh, Korean media and like learning more about their culture. So along with this, um, a lot of my friends and peers in my school kind of became familiar with like. Korean culture is such, like, taking forms in things like K-dramas, K-pop, even, like, Korean, like, uh, fashion. So, I think this influence definitely rubbed off on me, because starting high school, I started to watch, like, K-dramas, and I really enjoyed some of them, because it was a um, a nice departure from the typical types of TV shows um, I used to watch, because I feel like K-dramas, they tend to focus more on societal issues, rather than like, uh, how do I put this, like a typical plot line that you would see in a TV show. So I would say one of the dramas I have enjoyed recently was Sky Castle, because a lot of the uh, themes touched upon in the uh, show were really relevant to um, my life, uh, especially um, as a student in high school. Uh, it was pretty interesting to learn about the education system in Korea and how, like, intensive it is. So again, um, I don't know, I didn't really found it enlightening to, like, be able to understand more about Korean culture as well as just, like, life concepts within these shows. It's pretty deep, but what about you, Anna? Have you had any, like, exposure in the past few years?
0: Yeah, um, uh, my exposure to, um, the Korean entertainment world actually began in, like, middle school. So uh, I first started getting into K-pop in around like seventh or eighth grade. And then um, I slowly transitioned into the K-drama world. And I've honestly watched a lot of K-dramas and I've enjoyed um, a lot of them as well. Um, um, I personally enjoy dramas that are like soft and fluffy, not like cutthroat competition in (laughs) the drama necessarily. Um, I know, um, Sky Castle was really popular, like you mentioned, but, um, it, like, it just like didn't really suit my taste because I prefer like a really chill plot line, but, um, yeah, like some dramas I liked, um, I like W2 Worlds and, um, I also liked, there was this drama called Goblin, it was pretty popular in like 2016, so, yeah, I like those.
1: Well, I, I should probably give those a watch. But yeah, honestly, I feel like even outside of K dramas, like we've also seen influences such as K pop being played on the radio. I know with like BTS releasing um more English songs recently, uh, we've started to hear those played even more on like our local radios, which is pretty surprising and um very welcoming to hear. Um also I know and for the past few years, around maybe like three or four years, we've seen K-pop groups such as, um, again, BTS and Blackpink uh, like being featured on American TV shows. And I, I just found that very interesting just to see how fast the progression of K-pop has been that in just a span of a few years, they were able to break out of the Eastern Asia market all the way into America. So that was pretty interesting to see.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I think a lot more like, a major part of the reason why they were able to do that is because over the years their music started to develop in a really westernized style so it just naturally appealed to more western um listeners
1: yeah i also think like it was also a definitely something new like a different type of music Mm -hmm. and the fact that like um like unlike western western artists they just released like whenever they produce whenever they feel inclined to produce an album whereas For K-pop, it's kind of, like, expected of you to, like, release music routinely throughout a year so that way your fans can enjoy what you produce.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's, like, a pretty strict schedule for, like, when a K-pop group needs to come back and stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely. And so just in light of, like, things like that, like, comeback schedule or, like, performing and training, I kind of wanted to talk about some of the generalizations people have formed about uh, not just K-pop, but like Korea and their culture as a whole. So there are really many generalizations and assumptions out there about Korea and its culture, but some are good and some are bad. But as for the more positive outlooks people have in Korea, many have acknowledged the this country's rapid rise from poverty to affluence, and this is primarily due in part due to the Korean Civil War, which came to a close in 1953. Basically, after this war, South Korea experienced a rapid growth um, because of government projects as well as industrial conglomerates native to Korea that we have all come to know. Um, these conglomerates are some companies that we have heard of today and are household items, such as Kia, Hyundai, and Samsung. So um, kind of interesting to see how just a few companies native to Korea were able to transform its economy and bring its um, well-being to ad- to that of a developed country. But unfortunately, these positive connotations are often time outweighed by the societal stereotypes her- held towards Korea, and it's an entertainment industry especially. So taking a closer look at K-pop as a whole, many have criticized the manufactured nature of K-pop, giving it an ungenuine filter. Others, in meanwhile, have spread assumptions about idols utilizing um, facts such as them being getting excessive plastic surgery, acting hyper-feminine, or relying on their visuals instead of their skills. This has been largely in part due to the trainee culture which um, the K-pop industry has perpetuated. And we'll be talking more about this later on the episode. But these generalizations are also a result of the lingering racial stereotypes and stigmas held towards Asian countries, as well as the K-pop industry around the world. So just... Kind of um, going off of that, uh, we kind of want to talk about idol culture. Like I ever mentioned uh, a couple of minutes ago, um, basically the process to become an uh, idol in a K-pop group is very intensive and stressful. It's far more complicated than a um, onlooker would think. So basically, again, in order to become a trainee for a K-pop company, you have to be auditioning or get casted by a official from said company and basically this system <clears throat> of becoming a trainee is very um, uh, uh very intensive on both your mental health and your physical health uh trainees are kind of expected to uh join companies at young ages oftentimes uh, nearing like 10 12 13 and live together in regulated environments and spend many hours a day learning music, dance, foreign languages such as English and other preparation, other skills for their preparation and de- debut. And so this this training system has often been um, dubbed as a very like brutal process and kind of robotic system in which um, people perceive that k- K-pop companies are trying to kind of manufacture the perfect idol, right? So oftentimes, just to like kind of magnify um, or amplify the extremity of this process, sometimes like idols have their phones taken away and many are expected to be practicing from morning till night with only breaks for meals. And so currently the market has become just so saturated that if just one trainee doesn't meet the standards, they can easily be replaced with another. So the companies themselves really don't feel like they're losing something if one of their trainees isn't performing up to par. And so basically, uh, just to give you some statistics on that uh, in 2012, the Wall Street Journal reported that the cost of training one Korean idol under an entertainment agency averaged around $3 million. So that kind of gives you the weight and the kind of expectations that Korean companies expect of their trainees. So like if they're putting this much money into them, then they'll expect some kind of some form of output. And then just to uh, further emphasize, this is even after trainees are able to make their debut, um, oftentimes, they still they won't be able to make a single cent unless they pay off all of this debt that the company went through in order to prepare them for their uh, debut as an artist.
0: Yeah, and just like by these statistics that Greg um, told, you can clearly tell that the system is really abusive and really just exploits these um, young uh, these young kids and just like. Um, gives them enticing um goals such as oh you're gonna be pretty you're gonna be famous like you're gonna have da-da-da-da-da. but like at the end of the day it's really hard for them to actually reach that goal that the company is saying that um they'll reach and so like even after they debut it's not all rainbows and sunshine for them the company has um really strict rules that k-pop idols have to follow for instance there's no dating you can't get tattoos and you can't drink or smoke because that's just a really bad influence and it's oftentimes really offensive to fans who spend a lot of money supporting their idol and so this is actually really different from the western realm of entertainment in which a lot of fans are actually supportive of their favorite celebrity dating and um, they even create names a lot of the time so um and then like aside from that greg also talked about how there is these um beauty standards or how like um everyone is so similar that they can become replaced so quickly and that's because of the really rigid beauty standards that south korea and most asian countries have in general like these um idol trees are forced to undergo a really unhealthy diet they have to have very fair skin they have to be pretty tall and just like really skinny in order to become the idol that you know a lot of companies want these um, young um, these young boys and girls to become in order to be marketable on the large um, k-pop industry platform and so a lot of the times these um, young boys and girls often vie for these really big companies which correlate to immediate success and if you're from a small company then you kind of mean like an. Like you kind of mean um, your future is kind of like a flop, and so yeah, that's like kind of the mentality they have going into this training system, which isn't really good. And because of um, and because of this, they just um, aren't set up for the best conditions to su- to succeed. And just overall, um, this podcast and today's topic is just we're trying to make the statement that. No matter how glamorous the K-pop industry or the K-drama scene looks like, from the outside, there's a lot of exploitation going on behind the scenes. So, um, like, everyone should just be aware of that and just be knowledgeable of what's actually going on. So,
1: yeah. Yeah, and just going off of that, um, just to kind of dig deeper in what we've been, uh, there have been some instances in which there have been some fake companies trying to pose as a Korean entertainment system. And basically, while it may seem like they're trying to recruit artists, oftentimes they may be engaging in more lucrative and exploitative practices that aren't necessarily legal. So and a lot of this has been due in fact due to the part, a lot of this has been due to the fact that um, the Korean industry has become so um, popular, especially the music industry. And given this, a lot of people have become uh, very inclined to try out an audition for companies in order to make their de- in, ma- in order to make their own debut. So many people have tried to take advantage of this. And so this is really just one example of how um, a booming industry can create many other uh, lucrative practices that may not necessarily be ethical.
0: Thank you guys for watching our second official episode of Nocturnal Dialogues. We hope you'll come back next week and listen to our third episode. Bye.
1: Bye, guys.